to CBC this morning. We're glad that you're here. Welcome back, um, many college students and everyone else from your view, chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. This is God's word, and it's given for our goods. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes up. God, thank you that you know us, that you know who we are, and you know why we're here. Um, And God, I pray that as we worship you this morning, and as we hear um, what you have to say to us, how you can speak to us as we hear these things, I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened, um, and that we would be reminded of your deep, deep love for us. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, children, you are dismissed to Junior Church. I'm really, really sorry about the warm weather. Just let you know you can look forward to freezing cold temperatures next week. Last week, our sermon entitled Resolved to Obey, we looked at Matthew 5, and Jesus was talking about the law, the things we're supposed to do and the things we're not supposed to do. And Jesus said in particular that our righteousness under the law must be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees who uh, attempted to keep the law through perfect actions. Awesome. And then Jesus goes on to say that we must be better In almost every way, as he goes through Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mountain, says we must be better in our anger, in our purity, in our relationships, in our vows, in our responses, and in our love of neighbors. How is it possible to obey, not just like the Pharisees, but better, and in ways that even the Pharisees couldn't fathom? Remember, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, you've committed murder. You've heard it said by people uh, who want to stick to New Year's resolutions. New Year, new you. Woo! We're all on our New Year's resolution kicks, or maybe not. Maybe you're done already. I'm here to tell you that it's a new year, but it's still the old you. We're still the same broken 
sinful, needy, hurting people we were last year. So where does that better come from? Jesus, in Matthew 5, tells us the better comes from this radical obedience to God. But not in our actions, although they're important, but in our hearts. The better, Jesus was suggesting, was a new heart that only God can give that directs our actions. Today, we want to see in Matthew 6 how last week's call to this radical obedience of the new heart is rooted in humility as we learn to resolve to conceal. Let's pray as we begin. Jesus, be with us this morning. Help us to see clearly into your word on this simple but amazingly important passage for us. Help me not to complicate it, but make it plain. And help us to see this passage as you would have us. Use my preparation and my words to challenge our hearts, our thinking, and our actions. Change our relationship with you and change our relationship with the people around us every day. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up on uh, Sand Springs Road, uh, not even a stone's throw away, just down the road, the greenhouse right in the corner. And across the street from us lived the Putneys. And George uh, Putney died when I was really fairly young. And so Mrs. Putney lived there for a long time while I was a boy on her own. And occasionally I would do things to help out at the Putney house, just things that Mrs. Putney couldn't do for herself. And one of the things I liked, because I love snow, is I I love to shovel. My kids still think I'm nuts that I love to shovel, and I guess I kind of have to admit that I do. There's something really satisfying about shoveling snow. It's like mowing the lawn. Things are in order, and they're perfect, and they look great when you're done. And it's amazing. So I got to combine my love for shoveling with an, an, an act of altruism, something that I could do for Mrs. Putney that she couldn't do for herself. And I considered this a gift to God. But inevitably, every single time I shoveled for Mrs. Putney, she would go and ruin it. Because I'd go to finish the driveway and I'd try and finish the end really quickly so I could run back to my house and get away and go back home and just bank that I'd done something good for God. And yet she'd catch me. Brian, come in, come in, come in. I knew it was coming. And I'd stand there in my winter gear, dripping and sweating in a ridiculously hot house. And she'd search for about five minutes. And she'd come back with what she was going to reward me with. And she'd take that quarter and press it into my palm and say, thank you so much. What? A lousy quarter? I just worked for an hour and a half and you gave me a quarter and you think that covers it? And I I just knew my reward in heaven was gone. (laughs) And it wasn't because she'd given me the quarter. It was because she ruined my heart. Even then, a 10-year-old me knew enough to know that the things we do are important. And yet the heart is ultimately the most important thing. Jeremiah 17.9 says the human heart 
is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, in part, I do. When I'm honest with myself, with an appropriate appraisal of my own actions and heart, we do too. We do. When we're honest with ourselves, we know how bad our own hearts are. When we hold up our actions against the background of Holy Scripture to inform our consciences, we learn. And we're going to do that today as we look at Matthew 6. We want to look today at the good that we ought to do. And I want us to consider four points about the good that we ought to do. Number one, do it. (laughs) Number two, conceal it. Number three, give it. And number four, receive it back. So with the good we ought to do, we want to look at do it, conceal it, give it, and receive it back. Verse 1 that we read this morning is an introduction to the passage and begins by saying, watch out. Watch out. This little connector phrase. And I think it comes from Matthew 5 that we looked at last week. Uh, If you'll allow me, I want to suggest to us this morning that we might rightly read this opener of watch out as saying this. Watch out. Your heart is on display. Or watch out. Who you are will be revealed ahead. So number one, we're on the good that we ought to do. And verse one says, don't do your good deeds. Oh, wait a second. Sorry. It actually says, don't do your good deeds publicly. So it doesn't say, don't do your good deeds. It says, don't do them publicly. Verse 2 says, when you give. Verse 5 says, when you pray. Verse 16 says, when you fast. See, the good we ought to do, do it. The good that Scripture tells us to do, we should do. And it doesn't take some super spiritual gifting or supernatural intervention for us to do the good we ought to do. It's something we recognize and respond to. God tells us throughout Scripture to give. Now, as we look at this passage, there's this introductory verse, verse 1, and then we have three kind of choruses that are very similar in structure. Verses 2 through 4. Verses 5 and 6, and verses 16 through 18. So, verses 2 through 4 talk about giving. God tells us throughout Scripture to give. And so, we give. We give a tithe, or a tenth portion, or a sacrificial gift of our resources, finances, time, talents, energy. We give to support the local church. We give to support the needy. We give to support other people who are furthering God's kingdom and missions. This is not super spiritual gifting. God says, do it. Do it. God tells us throughout Scripture, and in particular in verse 5 and 6, to pray. And so, we pray. We praise God for who He is. We seek God's wisdom in our decisions. We seek God's help in difficulty. We rely on God for guidance. We thank him for his provision in a myriad of ways. And we pray for his mind and will in our lives. Do it. God tells us to fast. We don't talk about that one too much. 
But God tells us to fast. And so, we fast. This doesn't take what you might think is superhuman strength. We abstain from food for a period of time to humble our souls before God. We go without food to remind ourselves to seek God specifically and wholeheartedly. And we fast to increase the spiritual power and effectiveness of our prayers before God. Scripture tells us to do these things. So, do it. Don't miss out on what God has for you when you're obedient to him. And don't not do it because you're worried about your motives. That's like saying, uh, I don't want to win the lottery because I don't want to pay the taxes, which I hope you haven't said that because that's one of the dumbest things we could possibly say. A friend of mine was, this is an indictment, a friend of mine was trying to encourage me in fasting and I actually said to him outright, and I said it aloud and I couldn't believe I said it, no, I'm not going to fast right now because I'm actually trying to lose weight and I don't want to actually confuse not eating to lose weight with not eating in my fast. And I realized what had come out of my mouth. That is probably the second stupidest thing anyone's ever said. Don't not do the good things we ought to do because we're concerned about our motives. Do the good things that God has called us to do. Don't get hung up on the other stuff. Do the good that God's telling us to do. Work with excellence at work. Work diligently at your studies. Give of your time, energy, and talents to and for others. Sacrifice your me time for the good of another. The good we ought to do, do it. But as you do the good you ought to do, watch out. The manner in which we do what we ought to do is important. So, conceal it. Conceal it. All indictments of myself here. Do you wash the dishes in order to be seen by your spouse so that you can gain love points? You're getting some of these? Do you find ways to slip your extra time and effort into work conversations so that your contribution isn't overlooked? Do you give selflessly of your time and energy so that you can complain about it to someone else to gain martyr points? Verse 1 puts it this way. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. And each succeeding chorus that we talked about gives the same warning. Don't give like the hypocrites do, calling attention to their acts of charity, given private. Don't pray like the hypocrites pray, praying publicly to be seen. Pray by yourself, in secret. Don't fast like the hypocrites fast, making it obvious to be admired for their piety. Fast quietly, without fanfare, so as not to be known. You see, Our hearts are exposed in our good deeds just as they might be in our wickedness and sin. Do we crave and live for the admiration of others? Do we serve to be noticed? Do we give so that we might secretly receive back? Are we put out for others so that we can rejoice in being put out? 
Some of you know that um, I coach Nordic skiing up at Prospect Mountain and I uh, coach youth, fifth through seventh grade. It's got about 15 kids kind of in my group, and most of them are super, super fast. And it's super fun getting to ski with them, and I get to ski with my children, and uh, it's awesome. I coach to have fun, ski fast, get some exercise, and really enjoy that time. But we always have a few beginners, and someone has to coach the beginners. And who volunteers to coach the beginners? No one. Why? Because we're all volunteers. We all have kids to ski. We're all good skiers, and we want to ski fast. So no one wants to ski with the beginners. They're not our kids. They're always somebody else's kids. So who's going to coach them? Can you, can you tell my voice is rising here? I'm getting a little upset. So who coaches them? Guess what? I do. I'm ruining my reward in heaven right now. Guess what? It's already ruined. Who coaches them? I do. You know why? Because no one else will. And what do I do? I do it. Why? Because do it. You do it. This is what you do. You coach the beginners because it's a good thing that you do because no one else wants to do it. And I coach those little beginners and they can't glide. They, we're, on, we're skiing. We're supposed to be gliding and my fingers are freezing and my toes are freezing. And the father of the kid who I'm coaching is skiing by me on his own having a great time. And I'm coaching your kid. I'm such an idiot. Not because I do it. What am I doing? What am I doing? I do it every single practice and I get mad about it every single practice. And then I complain about it to my family or to other coaches who are in the know every single practice. So that the other people will know the great sacrifice I am making to do a good thing. You picking up what I'm putting down. How often is our heart revealed in our unwillingness to conceal the good that we do? The hypocrite is the early Greek term for an actor who plays a part to be seen. I won't ask, are you playing the part to be seen? But instead, I'll ask, where are you playing the part to be seen? And Jesus is asking us, are you willing to do things for God so that nobody sees? Don't crave attention. Don't crave the praise of men. When your good deeds are done, conceal it. Jesus was rejected by men made himself of no reputation. The praise of men meant nothing to our Savior. If Jesus could be rejected for our sake, can we be unknown for his? Do it, conceal it, and give it. Jesus is pretty clear in each chorus of our Matthew passage. We can take the credit for the things we do and the reward for it, or we can give it to Jesus. In our text, in each case of giving, praying, and fasting, these three pillars of Judaic piety, there's a reward given for your actions when they're done to be seen by others. And the reward is that your actions are seen by others. It's not a judgment per se. You're not going to receive a judgment, a condemnation. You're going to receive the reward 
that you're after. And that's it. The reward is being seen. Maybe this does improve your standing in others' eyes, and maybe not. Maybe it does cause others to think more highly of you, and and maybe not. Maybe your actions aren't even seen by anyone else, but that's not what matters. What matters is that your actions were meant to be seen by others, or to gain favor, or to earn something. Or Scripture plainly says to us, Jesus says to us, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward you will get. That's all the reward you will ever get. And Jesus tells us here in Matthew, give away that paltry reward of being seen by others. It's a lousy reward. It's fleeting and it's hollow. David Guzik put it this way. We must deny ourselves any indulgent self-congratulation as even that is stealing from our true reward. We must deny ourselves any indulgent self-congratulation. When we perform as the actor in being seen in our deeds, we're taking the reward we have earned. As usual, Jesus offers a better way. Instead of taking the reward we carve out for ourselves, we're encouraged to give away the lousy reward received from doing good deeds to be seen, noticed, or admired. And we're called to take the good we do and give it to God. Our giving to church, our giving to the needy, our giving to missions in humility so as not to be known can be a gift to God. Our prayer to God. Our requests, our hurts, our heart's desires in honest petition can be a gift to God. Our fasting, our denying ourselves for the purpose of spiritual power and presence without anyone else knowing it can be a gift to God. We can go further. Washing the dishes quietly and in humility when no one notices A gift to God. Skiing with the slowest skiers. Every practice. And loving them without complaint. A gift to God. Working hard for your employer. Or serving your employees without drawing attention to yourself. A gift to God. Are we willing to do things for God even if nobody sees? Or even so that nobody sees? Charles Spurgeon put it this way when talking about the good that we do. He said, let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. Let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. We do need to make one other distinction here in talking about our good deeds done for God. Can we give our actions to God grudgingly? Sure we can. That's often a simple attempt to earn God's favor. By appeasing him. And I want to suggest to us something higher and better. If you're younger, you're just going to have to go with me. You're just going to have to imagine on this one. If you're older, you're, you're going to know exactly where I'm coming from. I want to take you back to a time when you were newly in love. Can you go there? Or maybe... uh uh, just ask the question. You're newly in love. And Nate says, oh, don't worry, Nate. Someday, buddy, it'll come. 
But I ask you, what would you do for that person? Or maybe the better question is, what wouldn't you do for that person? If you can go back there in your love, at its best, it wasn't about being noticed or thanked for providing that gift or thing or food or experience, whatever it was. And it wasn't about you being appreciated for the time, energy, and effort, expense that went into it. They asked, or you knew, so you made it happen. It was about the object of your love being pleased. And they were pleased, and there was no other reward necessary. See, we take the good we ought to do, and we give it to God. We conceal and obey for the sake of love, so that the object of our love, God, would be pleased with our gift. This is the gift of Abel that was received gladly by God. It's the gift of David, broken spirit and a contrite heart. A gift of love. So the good we ought to do, we do it. We conceal it. We give it. And now we receive it back. Jesus tells us in the intro and in all three choruses that we should give, pray, or fast in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. We might safely say that also included beyond giving, fasting, and praying would be dishwashing, ski coaching, working, sharing, loving, serving, denying ourselves in private. And our Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, I don't specifically uh, claim to know what the reward of God looks like exactly in heaven. There's mention of crowns. There's mention of honor, and at the same time, that those crowns and honor are laid at the feet of Jesus and given back to him, who's enabled us to do those things to begin with. So what that looks like exactly, I don't know. But God tells us he will reward us. And I do know that the good things of God are good. And if he has a good reward, it's going to be awesome. But why do we do, why do we think that the good rewards of God are only in heaven? They're not. They're here as well. God rewards our Christ-like humility with a greater witness for Christ. When I turned my attitude about coaching beginners... One session of coaching beginners, I got the best email from a parent I've ever gotten in relationship to skiing. And I've done this for 10 years. Do you think my attitude was seen differently when I was trying to conceal? We're rewarded often with a greater witness for Christ. God also can reward us with otherworldly peace and stability found in Jesus rather than the fickle nature and praise of the world. If we're trying to be seen, 
then we want that reward of being seen. And so often, guess what? We're not seen. But when we give our concealed good deeds to our Father, we're assured with a steadfast promise that He sees everything and will reward. God also can reward us with a life of purpose and love. Close with this question. Requires a response. Are we followers of Jesus? You can say yes or no. Are we followers of Jesus? Well, then let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus in the good we ought to do. Do it. Conceal it. Give it. And receive it back. I want to read to you just quickly uh, from my journal. Uh, I went through, um, and I, want, I would love to encourage you to do this as a, a little project. Read through, again, the three choruses found in Matthew 6. Again, verses 2 through 4, 5 and 6, and 16 through 18. They read the same, each one, all the way through, talking about giving, praying, and fasting. But really, we can use that chorus, that refrain, in almost every area of our lives where we struggle to do, conceal, and give. Some of these are more germane to me. I'm going to read you three of them and and some of them just thoughts I had. First, and when you go to work, don't work as the world works, slaving, grinding, trying to be known as the best coach or teacher or business owner or tradesman or craftsman or therapist or machinist or counselor or homemaker or homeschooler. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward you will ever get. But when you work, honor and love me by seeking the best for those around you in love. Honor your coworkers, your boss, your employers in your heart and your actions and your father who sees everything will reward you. I wrote this one for me and for young parents out there. And when you parent, don't parent like the world does. Don't parent out of pride, trying to coerce your kids into making you look good, like you've done the best job at this thing. I tell you the truth. Being thought of as a good parent is a lousy reward. But instead, seek what is good and right for your children above all else, and even at great cost to your personal convenience or appearances. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. I'll read you one more. This doesn't apply to me yet, but I've often thought about it, maybe in a dreamlike state. And when you retire, and when you retire, don't retire like the rest of the world. Don't seek simply comfort and pleasure, for they will surely be all the reward you will receive. But seek me and serve me humbly, and I will see it. And I will surely reward you and be your reward. I encourage you maybe to try and write your own chorus to this refrain. Let's uh, close in prayer together before we go to our benediction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word 
and in particular for the recorded words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We thank you for this profound instruction in our lives. Father, continue to mold and change our hearts. Give us the new hearts you promised us. Give us a radical obedience in our hearts that changes our actions. Help us to do the good we ought to do. Remind us constantly to conceal it and to give it to you, the only one who could ever reward us as a pleasing offering back to you. As followers of you, Jesus, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you rise for the benediction, I quoted very quickly Jeremiah 17. I want to read the rest of that passage and go back to the part before it for, for our benediction. First, let me read you Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Interesting in what we've talked about today. This is from the Old Testament. Prophet Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But it continues. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And now rise for our benediction that comes from Jeremiah 17, 7 And eight, the two verses before this, I pray this would be us as we go. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Go in peace as God's people.